Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Donald Trump usually has a lot to say, but not today. The lead starts right now. The former president under oath refusing to answer questions invoking his Fifth Amendment right after years of mocking those who did just that. And wanted by the FBI, the Justice Department reveals an Iranian man's dramatic plot to kill the reported target, high-level officials who worked under President Trump. Plus, those rising prices still going up, but not as fast, where you'll see the most savings as inflation rates start to cool. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Dana Bash in for Jake Tapper. We begin with our politics lead. Donald Trump today invoked his Fifth Amendment right in a deposition with the New York Attorney General who's investigating the Trump Organization's finances. This at a deposition lasting more than five hours. In a lengthy statement, the former president claims he had no choice, saying he's the target of an unfounded, politically motivated witch hunt. This from the man who once asked, if you're innocent, why are you taking the fifth? This is one of at least seven criminal, civil, and congressional investigations Trump is facing. That includes the probe that led to the FBI search at his Mar-a-Lago home on Monday. That was tied to the DOJ's investigation into the handling of classified documents. CNN's Sarah Murray has more on today's derailed deposition against the backdrop of the extraordinary legal jeopardy Trump faces. What's your message to your supporters? As Donald Trump's legal woes mount, they want to put me in jail. The former president leaving a New York deposition after pleading the fit, which he once said was a move for mobsters. The mob takes the fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? Today, Trump changed his tune in a deposition led by Democrat New York Attorney General Letitia James's office, part of a three-year civil probe into whether the Trump Organization misled lenders, insurers, and tax authorities by providing false financial statements. For years, they've been going after my company. I once asked, if you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment, Trump said in a statement. Now I know the answer to that question. He claimed everyone in his orbit was a target, adding, if there was any question in my mind, the raid of my home, Mar-a-Lago, on Monday by the FBI, just two days prior to this deposition, wiped out any uncertainty. I have absolutely no choice. The deposition coming just days after Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence was searched. A source told CNN authorities came to suspect Trump's team was not being truthful and may have been withholding sensitive documents that he allegedly took with him when he left the White House. My father has worked so collaboratively with them for months. All of a sudden, on no notice, they sent, you know, 20 cars and, and 30 agents. The perilous week highlighting Trump's mountain of legal troubles. I just want to find uh, 11,000... 780 votes. In Georgia, Trump faces an investigation into whether his efforts to overturn the 2020 election there were criminal. We are going to look at everything until that investigation is complete. And federal investigators are probing efforts to block the transfer of power in 2020, including Trump's attempts to try to stop the election certification and seat fake electors. 
Now, Trump was still in that deposition today for more than five hours. When he left, he posted on his Truth Social website and said it was very professional. He went on to say he has a great company with great assets. Of course, he was not willing to say these kinds of things under oath, Dana. Sarah, thank you so much for that report. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And let's discuss. First, I want to go to Renato Mariotti. So, Renato, you are a former federal prosecutor. Trump, as we discussed, famously said, innocent people don't plead the fifth. But in this situation, the New York attorney general has been pretty outspoken about wanting to take Trump down. Do you blame the former president for doing a 180 here? No, I think he's making the right decision. I mean, I think regardless of her statements, I think it's fair to say that he's facing significant liability on multiple fronts. We know some former White House um, aides have been interviewed before the grand jury. We know that, of course, there is a recent search warrant executed at his Mar-a-Lago estate. There's a lot of reasons why he wouldn't want to be questioned under oath right now. And Josh Campbell, I'm going to turn to the Mar-a-Lago search of the, by the FBI earlier this week. Why do you think the DOJ used a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago instead of a less intrusive method of getting these documents? Uh, investigators went to Mar-a-Lago in early June. Why do you, as a former FBI agent, think that they wouldn't have gotten what they needed in a less um, intense way? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And the Department of Justice and FBI investigative guidelines actually state that authorities have to use the least intrusive method possible as they move up the scale to that more intrusive uh, uh, able ways and able to gather information, such as a search warrant, such as other types of legal process. Uh, but in this case, investigators also have the ability to make a calculation whether they actually think that someone who is holding documents or other types of evidence is actually going to turn over in a fulsome way what authorities or are actually looking for. I mean, there's always a question about whether documents will be destroyed or whether they will even be uh, provided in totality. Uh, and so they can go to a court and say, look, we have probable cause to believe that there's evidence of a crime here that we need to go and get. And uh, another branch of government, the judicial branch, a judge has to sign off on that. What is so interesting here, based on CNN's reporting, is that in that June meeting, authorities met with Trump's lawyers and actually asked to see where these documents were located. And we've, we've learned that, you know, obviously, a search warrant was obtained, I would not be surprised to learn uh, that the information they gleaned, that they actually observed themselves, actually went into this warrant uh, in order to give them the opportunity to seize this information. But again, authorities always have to calibrate. Uh, how do we gather this information? Is the person that we're discussing truthful? Uh, could this information be destroyed? And here it appears that they went with that more intrusive method of actually getting that search warrant. And Renato, we are you talk, talking to Josh now, hearing him say, according to CNN reporting, all of our information comes from either the former president himself or uh, people who are willing to divulge even a little bit to try to help us put the pieces together. We haven't heard anything officially from the DOJ. And the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is calling on the Attorney General Merrick Garland to explain why the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago. He could do so or at least give a little bit of information if he wanted to. Should he? I don't think so. You know, Dana, usually the practice in an ongoing criminal investigation is for the DOJ to say very little. And there have been times when the Justice Department and the FBI have strayed from that. I think notably when James Comey mm -hmm. made a number of statements during the Clinton investigation. And I think that turned out uh, to not be a good decision uh, for law enforcement there. I think that ended up turning out badly. And I would counsel them to take the approach they're taking now. 
uh, which is to you know be very careful and make very limited public statements. Uh, Josh, I think I saw you wince when he mentioned what happened with James Comey. Um, <laughs> I, I, you are a former uh, FBI agent, and your uh, the bureau is really under attack from the former president and his allies, and it's happening in a really stark way. What are you hearing from your former colleagues at the FBI about the impact it's having on them? You know, it's so interesting. Reporting on this story, I've always been reaching out to a number of FBI people, and the theme has been, oh my gosh, not again. This federal law enforcement agency now once again thrust into this political meat grinder. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting is that we see Donald Trump using the same playbook that he used during the Mueller investigation, and that is to try to undermine the credibility in the institutions doing the investigation. And that's uh, as we've long known, because uh, if he can convince a certain segment of society that these people are corrupt, then whatever they end up coming up with possibly won't be believed by his believers. And so I see that playbook being dusted off now. Again, a lot of questions for the FBI to answer here. As we just mentioned, this was a very intrusive, unprecedented action that they took to get this information. So the Department of Justice has to come out and provide information. Uh, But I think the people that I talk to inside the FBI, they see another political freight train headed Mm -hmm. their way. The FBI once again in the middle of an upcoming election. It's heading their way very, very quickly. Renato Mariotti and J- uh, Josh Campbell, rather. Thank you both so much. Thanks, Dan. And we're just getting Thank in you. new details about a rather dramatic murder plot. The Justice Department is accusing a member of Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps of trying to orchestrate the assassination of high-level Trump officials. The elaborate allegations laid out in black and white next. Plus, China's show of force once again deploying warplanes near Taiwan. How leaders on that island are responding as China simulates an attack. In the world lead, we're learning of another high-level Trump official targeted in an elaborate assassination plot. The Justice Department first revealed Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton, was a target. And now, a source tells CNN the plot also involved Trump's Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. CNN's Kylie Atwood has the new details just coming in. So what are you learning? Yeah, pretty remarkable here that not only National Security Advisor, uh, then National Security Advisor John Bolton, but also the former Secretary of State was a target of an Iranian assassination plot. That's according to a source familiar with the investigation and a source close to Pompeo who said that the former Secretary of State was notified by the Department of Justice that he was also a target. Now, in these documents that we read today out from Department of Justice, they reference a second plot that this Iranian was looking to carry out, offering $1 million for that plot. We don't know the details of the plot to try and also assassinate the former Secretary of State, but what we do know is the details of those to try and go after John Bolton. Here we are. This is the man the FBI alleges tried to hire an assassin to kill former U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton, Sharam Porsafi allegedly a member of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. The FBI says that in 2021, Porsafi tried to get an informant to hire someone for $200,000 in order to eliminate someone. That number eventually grew to $300,000. Porsafi even sent screenshots of Bolton's home address and photographs of stacks of money to the informant. Persafi allegedly said the killing should happen in Bolton's office garage, with the informant noting it was a high-traffic area. This was not an idle threat. And this is not the first time we have uncovered brazen acts by Iran to exact revenge against individuals on U.S. soil. 
The FBI alleges that Iran wanted to kill Bolton in retaliation for the U.S. assassination of Qasem Soleimani, a top Iranian general the Trump administration said was planning attacks on Americans. Though Bolton was no longer in the administration when the airstrike was carried out, he's long advocated for a more hawkish U.S. policy towards Iran. After the Soleimani assassination, Bolton tweeted, quote, Congratulations to all involved in eliminating Qasem Soleimani. Hope this is a first step to regime change in Tehran. You have a regime in Iran that wants to prevent the Americans from interfering in Iran, and you have a target that Iran views as a big threat. And though not citing Iran specifically, Bolton even recently made comments about planning coups while working in government. As somebody who has helped plan coup d'etat, yeah. not here, but, you know, other places, uh, it takes a lot of work. A source familiar with the matter explained that Bolton was made aware of threats against him in 2020, and he has had Secret Service protection since late 2021. Now, the White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said this afternoon that the Biden administration won't waver in protecting all Americans and said that if Iran carried out any actions against any U.S. citizens, there would be severe consequences. Dana. I imagine. Kylie, thank you so much for that report. Appreciate it. And this note, be sure to tune in to the Situation Room. John Bolton will be Wolf Blitzer's guest. That begins at 5 Eastern here on CNN. Be sure to watch that. And next year on The Lead, price hikes cooling off. What new numbers out today say about your spending and where you could save? In our Money Lead, some positive news about inflation, although you might not be able to feel it quite yet. Prices for many goods are still up in July, but and that's from July a year ago, but not as much as they were in June. One bright spot is gas prices. Well, again, they're still higher than they were this time last year. They're way down from the record high two months ago. I want to bring in CNN's Rahel Solomon and Caitlin Collins. So, Rahel, first to you, break down what is in the latest inflation report. Hi, Dana. Yeah, so a nice positive news in this inflation report, a positive expectation. Uh, we don't get to say that much these days. So annualized inflation came in at 8.5 percent. That's a decline from the 9.1 percent annualized figure we saw uh, last month, which was a 41 year high in core inflation held steady at 5.9 percent. When we look under the hood, Dana, of sort of what happened here in this report, the components, energy, as you pointed out, that declined 7.7 percent for the month. And that sort of led to declines for gas, for uh, airline fares. Food and shelter, however, continue to increase as it has been. When you look sort of broader at where we're coming from, that chart we just showed you, you can see inflation is still very high, but perhaps we have peaked. And that's sort of what we're seeing there, right? That 9.1, maybe we have peaked. That's the hope here. If you were at home watching this, however, thinking what peak? This is why, because annualized, you're still seeing very high prices for uh, gasoline, 44 percent higher than it was a year ago. Food prices almost 11 percent higher and shelter 5.7 percent higher. Dana. Rahel, does this report tell us anything about avoiding a possible recession? Well, the market seems to think so. I mean, the stock market really soared today. And what's happening here is if, in fact, inflation has peaked, which we won't know for sure for a few months, well, maybe the Fed can be a little less aggressive with rate hikes and maybe they can achieve their their goal that they've been trying to get all along. Right. Maybe they can cool consumer spending, cool consumer demand without crushing it, i.e. triggering a recession. That's the hope. And Caitlin, what's the reaction from the White House? 
Certainly, they take this as welcome news, Dana. They have been touting these numbers today, including when President Biden was in front of a report of reporters, because this is a White House that has been on defense over inflation for the last several months after initially insisting that they thought it was going to be temporary. And of course, it turned out not to be. And so they are seeing this more as not really a victory lap, but certainly a step in the right direction, as President Biden said earlier. It underscores the kind of economy we've been building. We're seeing a stronger labor market where jobs are booming and Americans are working. And we're seeing some signs that inflation may be getting to moderate. That's what happens when you build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out. That's a key statement from President Biden there, saying that he does believe this is a sign inflation may be beginning to moderate. Of course, back in December, he said he thought inflation had peaked then before the Russian invasion of Ukraine had happened. Today, I also want to note that he did take the opportunity to say this is why he believes that Congress needs to pass the Inflation Reduction Act. That passed the Senate earlier this week. It is expected to be taken up by the House later this week, Dana. Caitlin Conlon, Rahel Solomon, thank you so much. And joining me now is Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. He's the author of a just-released book, America, A Redemption Story, Choosing Hope, Creating Unity. Good to see you in person. Thank you, Danny. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. Let's start uh, with what you just heard about the economy. Yeah. Inflation cooled a bit. Down a bit. 9.1 in, in, to 8.7. In the last month. But you tweeted that that's bad news. Why is that bad news? Well, because one of the reasons why the, infl- the inflation is coming down a little bit is because we saw the interest rates go up by 75 basis points, means that we're probably going to have another 75 basis points the next meeting. And it also means that the demand is coming down as well. The last two quarters combined together had negative growth, which ultimately means that when you look at the overall health of the economy, it's not as healthy as you'd like it to be. And we're still teetering on a recession. So for those people meeting income, $35,000 in this country, if you're under $35,000 paycheck to paycheck, you go to the gas station, it's really hard. It's hard, but you you kind of ended there with what I was going to follow up with, which is for people out there, people in South Carolina, it's about paying for food. It's about paying for gas right now. And if the numbers are coming down for that, that's that's always a good thing, right? Can you concede that? No, there's no doubt. 9.1 versus 8.7, I'll take Mm 8.7. Less than 18 months ago, it was 2%. So when we start celebrating the drop in the uh, inflationary effect in our economy, that's not bad news at all. But if it's caused because we're heading into a recession, that's really bad news. Do you think that we are? I think the last two quarters combined together, we had negative growth. That is not a good sign. So we want to make sure that we do those things that help our economy get healthier. And one of the things that we can do to get there is to spend less money from the government. I want to ask a little bit about what happened in Florida on Monday. The uh, search warrant at Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Um, You have been one of those who has said, just hold on, let's not jump to conclusions. A lot of your Republican colleagues have not been as cautious. Senator Ted Cruz is calling it corrupt and an abuse of power. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy calls it weaponized politicization of the Justice Department and The Twitter account of the House GOP Judiciary Committee says it happens in third world countries. And now, I don't know, I'm just going to put put this up. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. The judge who approved the search warrant is facing a surge of threats, particularly online, maybe more. His information on the federal court's website, it was taken down. And look at that. It says access denied as a way to protect him. Should your colleagues, your Republican colleagues, tone down the rhetoric? Well, Dan, I will say that this is unprecedented, it's shocking, and it's disturbing from my perspective. What I said earlier, I think I was on another station, I said, I'm asking my friends on the other side, wait, don't rush to judgment. But this is without question 
a very daring and dangerous move on the Department of Justice's side. I can't imagine them finding a smoking gun in the midst of what they're looking for through the Presidential Records Act. I'm stunned that they did it. You said the folks on the other side should uh, should hold off. It's the folks, some of the folks on your side, including and starting with the former president. He's the one who broke the news with a really incendiary uh, statement. Should they tone it down? Because I, I, there, there's potential for things to go south quickly. No question. I would say without any hesitation that every single member of our family, the American family, should be very concerned when you feel like there is a weaponization of the Department of Justice against any individual, much less a but, former president. But what makes you think that's happening if a judge, if it went through the, for, the proper process? There's, I mean, you, you were even saying, there's a lot yeah. we don't know about this. Absolutely so why not that. give them the benefit of the doubt as opposed to uh, putting incendiary comments out about not just the judge, but also the FBI yeah. a, a few and points. DOJ? So back in February, we saw the negotiation with the Presidential, presidential Records Act looking at what should be kept and what should be given back. 14 or 15 boxes went back. In June, they had another negotiation. So what we see happening is this continuation of a negotiation, and then all of a sudden you see 30 FBI agents raiding the president's residence. That does not make sense if the, if the negotiation was continuing. So what we're seeing on the outside looking in is a drastic change of events and one where I believe that your guy, uh, Paul Callen, said that this is daring and dangerous on part of the Department of Justice. So I, I do find myself troubled by what's happening. And if it's only about presidential, the Presidential Record Act, that is a dangerous precedent to you, set going do you, forward. Do you think that the Department of Justice should be more... Uh, forward-leaning, forward-facing, explain a little bit more about what happened? The American people will benefit from having a lot of information presented as quickly as possible so that we understand and appreciate what's happening. One of the things that I, I do cover in my book, America Redemption Story, is the importance of a justice system that is fair and equitable and applied to everyone the same way. Having been the uh, receiver of the short end of the stick from a justice perspective, it's so important for us to have great confidence in our justice system. It's one of the reasons why last week we had Christopher Ray before the Judiciary Committee because of the political activity in the FBI that ought not be. You devote a whole chapter in your book to what happened on January 6th. You describe yourself as being hunted. Yes. And you reveal something that I didn't know, which is that in the Hart Building, which is where a lot of the senators were taken, uh, there was a, a lot of heat. A little there. chaos. A little chaos. Yes, and you, you wrote, I turned and surveyed the room and panic had set in. People were pointing fingers at one another. And then a senator yelled at the top of his lungs, shut up, just shut up. Yes. That's true. One of the things happened that under pressure, the, the chaos was high, as was the temperature. The thinking was low. And one of the things I point out in the book is that having people under tremendous pressure in the same room, bickering and fighting with one another, is never helpful for us. And to they were the blaming out. one. They were blaming one another for the actual attack that happened. Yes, without question. Yeah. And so one of the things I did was I just I asked for a, a moment of prayer. And Chaplain Black came up. And both sides, the temperature went down, the thinking went up, and then we found a path to go out and finish our job. Do you believe that? former President Donald Trump was responsible in any way, shape or form for that attack in which you call yourself and fellow senators 
hunted. Yeah, I think I'm really clear in my book that I do put the blame on the people that came into the Capitol that made me feel like I was hunted. I put the blame squarely on their shoulders. One of the things I learned early in life is that we have to take responsibility for our own actions and the faster we do, the better off we are. So you also say in your book about the former president, I'm very proud of all we accomplished, but they were a very difficult, excuse me, they were very difficult four years. Um, Donald Trump and his allies are previewing uh, an announcement potentially soon of a run again. Do you want another difficult campaign, in your words, in a difficult four years? Should he run? Well, there's no doubt that one of the things I celebrate in the book, I, I try to, honestly, Dan, I try to tell both sides of the story. I want the, the full ledger to be seen. Mm -hmm. While we had some challenges, I can name several of them. There were some really important points where we saw the country coming together. We have the most inclusive economy in the history of the country creating 7 million jobs, two-thirds going to African-Americans, Hispanics, and the women. We raised funding for historically black colleges and universities. Want, do you want the former this, president to run to, again? To the highest level ever. I want the same policy positions that we had before that I believe... Can somebody else do that and not somebody who makes things, in your words, difficult? Well I, I, well, I hope that we will find our way back to a place where we're talking about principles and, and not personalities, and that's one of the challenges that we have to embrace as a country together. Before we go, I just have yes, to say, one of the many stories in your book... Uh, that was really interesting is you taking your grandfather who did not read or write to vote yes and taking him into the booth so he could vote for barack obama absolutely can you imagine a guy african-american born in 1921 lives long enough 86 years old and has a chance to, to see what he thought was unimaginable an african-american being elected to president my grandfather has shed tear, tears two times in my life his wife a 56 year old 56 years uh, at her a funeral and voting for President Obama. I'm assuming you did not vote for President Obama. I did not vote for okay. President Obama. Just had to ask. Well, Dana, you were in. That's, that's a good question, but easy answer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yes, you so much. Appreciate you sharing this book. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, too. And again, Tim Scott of South Carolina is the author of this brand new book. You see it on the screen, America, A Redemption Story, Choosing Hope, Creating Unity. And with less than 90 days now until the November election, what may have just become one of the biggest motivators for voters at the polls. That's next. Republican primary voters Tuesday unmistakably stood by Donald Trump. In Wisconsin, Tim Michaels, Trump's chosen candidate for governor, beat his former vice president, Mike Pence's pick. In Connecticut, Trump's last-minute endorsement of Leora Levy boosted her past uh, the state party's endorsed Senate candidate. I want to bring in our panel to discuss all of this. And Abby Phillip, I'm going to start with you. One Republican candidate who advises a potential Trump 2024 rival uh, told Politico that the primary results after the FBI search were, quote, unbelievable. It put everybody in the wagon for Trump again. It just taken the wind out of everybody's sails. Everybody meaning everybody who's not a Trump endorsed candidate. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and Dana, you know this. The one thing that Trump, I think, has really consistently counted on is this kind of victimhood. I mean, he was the victim even when he won the last election. And it works really well for him. It works well for the base. And um, he's been pretty happy, apparently, by all accounts, with what has happened in the last few days, which is that even people who normally criticize him have been supportive. And that is going to have a, a real trickle effect down the ballot. Now, the problem is Trump 
is very popular among Republicans, but he is still not so popular among the rest of the country. And I do think that this puts Republicans in such a tough spot. They cannot cross the base on this. But are they actually better off when it comes to 2022 and how those candidates candidates are going to fare in a general election and then 2024 and how he might fare in a general election. I think that's really up for debate. And if Republicans had been facing, say, an enthusiasm deficit heading into this midterm, then something like this that really has fired up and angered Trump's base, sort of continued to fuse them onto the Republican Party could be a good thing. But, but that wasn't the Republican Party's problem. In fact, it's been the Democrats' yeah. problem up until at least the Dobbs decision that, that their side's been the one that hasn't been as enthused. So in this case, all this is really doing is it's taking the focus away from the issues that Republicans felt really had put the wind in their sails, things like inflation, things mm. like the economy, et cetera. And it has shifted it back now to Trump's grievances, to things like Trump's victimhood. And that's just not. So do you think that's bad for Republicans? In I think the, in it takes the- I think it takes the, the narrative off of the issues that are best for Republicans in the midterms. We still have weeks to go. This could still evolve. This Trump could might be quiet. Well, I don't think Trump will be quiet, but, but certainly the, the news cycle, you know, it does feel like every day there's something new popping up. We don't know what next week will be, but I just think yeah. this shift isn't the best for Republicans. Karen, I want to ask you about the Democratic side of the aisle. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who's uh, a member of the progressive so-called squad, she survived, mm-hmm. but it was surprisingly competitive, the primary that she had in her home state of Minnesota. What does that tell you? Well, actually, in that race, it was a, it seemed to be about uh, a, um, a thing that was on the ballot locally about whether or not it was with the city council about whether or not in her district to do away with the police department and replace it with a public safety. So it was a very personal and a very localized race. But again, I mean, to what Chris was just saying, Democratic primary voters are mobilized, and we're seeing continuing to see. Frankly, general election Democratic voters mobilized by the Dobbs decision. And I do think to the former conversation, when it comes to Trump, he his presence, it is a real problem in a general election contest because you've got to any of these Republicans, not just if they're supporting Trump, but many of whom are big lie believers. They've been running on, you know, stop the steal That is not a general election message if you are running statewide. Well, on that note, uh, Nicholas Wu, the former president, met with a dozen lawmakers who people you cover every day, members of the Republican Study Committee. The meeting was on the books before the FBI search. Congressman Jim Banks told CNN that the group encouraged Trump to announce his 2024 bid sooner rather than later and said that Trump was fired up and the FBI search emboldened and unified Republicans. What are you hearing? Well, what we're seeing right now, at least from the House side, is a lot of House Republicans rallying around the flag, around the former president uh, after this uh, search of mar We saw the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, he was post on Facebook today uh, that Republican lawmakers need to get out there and, and, and be loud about this investigation. But the danger here is for Republicans, say, you know, we, we do see more from this investigation. We, we do see more revealed about what was, you know, in these boxes at Mar-a-Lago. Um, they might have gotten a little too far out here. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is the thing that is striking to me. Everyone seems to take at, just as, at face value this idea without evidence that the FBI overstepped. But what about the possibility that there's something significant there? That's thought doesn't seem to be crossing the minds of a lot of Republicans right now. And or perhaps they figure that it doesn't matter what it is. Remember, 
when Trump said he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and get away with it? Well, I think a lot of Republicans may be starting to buy into that at this but point. I think, again, I think it shows you how beholden everybody knows their Republican primary electorate is to Trump, to the Stop the Steal, to the big lie believers. That is mobilizing those primary voters. And so aligning with Trump, I mean, even Mitch McConnell kind of aligned himself with Trump. That's a, if I was working for a moderate Republican, I'd say take this one. You want this one because this is an easy way to be align yourself with Trump. Yeah, I, I was going to say exactly that, that in this moment, because of how little we know, on the one hand, your point that you could be too far out of your skis, we find out some new information that suddenly makes it really damaging. On the other hand, because we don't know that much, calling for transparency, I, in my decade and a half of doing focus groups, <laughs> have never heard voters say, gosh, I wish we had less transparency right. in government. So it's a safe way, an easy way for someone to say, look, this is something that we can all agree on, right? Shouldn't we have more transparency? So that's why I think you've seen some Republicans who are not necessarily the Trumpiest in the conference find themselves more aligned with Trump on this particular matter. And let's just kind of take the conversation a step back. Let's focus on the current president. <laughs> and, and my question is really about the current president and the fact that he has a lot of things to talk about. And he's yeah. been competing with the former president. I mean, it's not a lot to say that it is a big news story, understandably, when a former president's house is searched by the FBI. That's for sure. I mean, the president had all of these big wins lined up this week. He's signing major pieces of legislation. The House is set to pass, I know, this cornerstone of Democrats' agenda, the, the infrastructure, uh, the, apologies, the Inflation Reduction Act on uh, Friday. But that is in many ways being overshadowed by this news right now. And so we'll have to wait and see how this plays well, out. We'll but see. I do think that, I, sorry, I do think, though, this means Republic, I mean, I'm sorry, Democrats can go home and they can tout it. And frankly, that's what voters really care about. That's the danger, you know, sort of in, in the Democratic primaries, voters want to hear about what have you done for me. So it gives a nice big basket of things to talk about. Okay, guys, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Great conversation. And up next, Taiwan on guard. The response from the island as China keeps sending warplanes near its shores. A representative of Taiwan will join me right here in the studio. China says it has, quote, successfully completed recent military drills around Taiwan. But China is also vowing more patrols moving forward. And just today, the Taiwanese Defense Ministry detected three dozen Chinese warplanes and 10 vessels off its coast. Those exercises have been going on for more than a week around House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit. Joining me now is Taiwan's representative to the U.S., Representative B. Kim Shao, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, let's start with that. When you hear China say mm -hmm. that, okay, we're done, but we might do more in the near future when it comes to pretty intimidating drills around the Taiwan, Taiwan Island, what's your response? Well, actually, they have been, um, the fighter jets have been intruding into our airspace uh, for some time already, way before Speaker Pelosi's visit. Um, and uh, the situation has certainly intensified over the past week. Um, I think we remain vigilant, uh, but we are not letting such intimidation uh, affect our determination to go on with our lives uh, in an environment uh, where we cherish our democracy and the basic freedoms that we have. You mentioned that, that of course, this has been going on, but it did ratchet up mm -hmm. yes, in a big way when intensified. the House Speaker was there. Um, the Chinese called her visit irresponsible, provocative, and dangerous. She vehemently defended the trip. 
and she promised that the U.S. won't allow China to isolate Taiwan. But when you consider what you've seen over the past week around that visit, do you stand by and does the government stand by the move to invite her and have her there? Yes, well, you just quoted the words uh, irresponsible, provocative, and dangerous. And I think um, these are words that apply to the actions of China over the past week. Um, I think uh, the people of Taiwan will continue to welcome international friends uh, who are in Taiwan to extend their support and help uh, in terms of uh, supporting Taiwan's international space and uh, Taiwan's uh, survival. Um, I I think China's behavior is reflective of uh, a typical abuser in society uh, claiming ownership of Taiwan and trying to intimidate us from making friends. And they're also trying to threaten friends from visiting us. Uh, We can't let this become a regular pattern. And uh, the people of Taiwan uh, deserve uh, to, uh, as we are a force for good in the region, uh, we feel we deserve to live the kind of life uh, that we have fought hard to build in a free and open society. Uh, We deserve to have the opportunity to welcome friends uh, who want to be there to support us. I want to read you something that an official at the Chinese embassy in the U.S. said last week. Taiwan is one of the very few issues that might take China and the United States to conflict or even a war. So extra caution and a sense of responsibility are indispensable when it comes to Taiwan. It's pretty strong language. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I I think it is important that we all recognize that um, the provocations and actions of China uh, are destabilizing for the region. Um, Taiwan has um, been extremely responsible. Uh, We are not uh, joining the Chinese uh, saber-rattling provocative uh, action. Uh, We simply want to continue living our lives. Uh, We want to continue uh, breathing the air of freedom. Uh, We want to engage with the world, and that is what we will resolutely do in terms of defending uh, our way of lives and continuing uh, to build our own prosperity as well as contribute as a responsible party in the region to regional peace. Briefly, if you get to the point where there is an attack by China, a, a real one, an aggressive one, do you expect, does the Taiwanese government expect the U.S. to come to its defense? And if so, how? Well, that's a hypothetical um, scenario. Uh, we have a very strong partnership with the United States that is codified in the Taiwan Relations Act and the Six Assurances. Uh, we will continue to build and strengthen that partnership uh, to deter um, any uh, military action and uh, so that that kind of tragedy will never have to happen uh, on our island. Thank you so much, Representative. I appreciate it. Thank you. And once again, it seems like... The Jetsons knew what they were doing. The action just taken to make flying taxis. You heard that right. Look at it. Flying taxis, more of a reality. That's next. In our tech lead, imagine going from your house to the airport in minutes, bypassing smog and traffic and everything that you have to do right now. And we're not talking about a jetpack or even time travel. We're actually talking electric flying taxis, and that hassle-free, low-emission ride may be closer than you think. Today, Archer Aviation landed a $10 million 
deposit of 100 of their futuristic aircraft and the buyer aviation giant United Airlines. Now, Archer's CEO says the investment is a, quote, great signal of confidence in our roadmap to commercialization. The company says their planes can take off and land vertically like a helicopter, which is ideal for congested cities. Thanks so much for watching. If you ever miss an episode of the show, you can listen to The Lead wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder, former President Trump's national security advisor, John Bolton, will be a guest on The Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer, which starts right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.